Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It was like an all or nothing thing for me that year because I knew I didn't have none of the careers some of my friends were having in high school. Like some of them were playing varsity since a freshman. So I was like, okay, well, I got one year to make this count and it's going to be all or nothing. And that that year being in that mindset and that focus is what shaped how I approached the game, um, I'd say, ever since. Welcome to 94 and More, presented by Bristol Studio. While a basketball court might be 94 feet, we believe it's limiting to solely look at this beautiful game as a sport. In our minds, it's closer to an art form, even a tool through which we can study the world and learn about ourselves. I'm your host, Jake Fenster, and on this podcast, we will explore the game of basketball, not only as a sport, but as a dynamic force that influences culture, builds bridges, and has the ability to shape our national conversation. Hope you enjoy. As always, feel free to reach out to us at 94 at bristol-studio.com and follow us on Instagram at Bristol Studio and at 94 and more podcast. All right, let's get into the show. Today, our guest is Bryce Cotton. Bryce, thanks for joining the show. No problem. Appreciate you having me, man. How's everything going in Australia? It was going good till I uh, got COVID, just chilling in ISO, but other than that, everything's smooth. So you, you have COVID right now? Yes, I do. I, I don't know what day I'm on, but I think yeah. I got maybe one or two more days. As long as I don't have no symptoms, I'm good. To- oh, you don't need symptoms. This is great. That's- this is great, Jake. I, I don't even know. We probably should have briefed Bryce. <laughs> we were going to do the COVID episode, but we're fully in it now. I mean, I can cut it. I can cut it. No, no, no. We're, we're in it. No, we're in it. No, we're in it. We're, we're committing to the COVID episode. <laughs> we're in it now. Is this breaking news right now? Are we breaking news? Yeah, hey, I guess. I guess. I didn't tell him that. I didn't tell him to say it or not to say there it. There was no so. briefing. There was no briefing. I had no, no idea. No, there wasn't. We're in. We were talking no, about I mean, sports, but we're in. But yeah, so you guys, I know you guys haven't really been playing, right? Everything has been kind of halted. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's quite a few of us that got it. So pretty much with the NBL, if anybody on the team gets it, everybody else is ruined close contact. So. Everybody else is paying for the people that got it. Damn, that's got to be tough because you guys were in a bit of a rhythm too. And I know you guys were the leading, the top two leading scorers in the NBL, right? Right before this all kind of started happening. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, luckily though, um, we're not the only team that's been hit with the COVID bug. So pretty much there hasn't been any games going on. So we're all going to be in the same boat. So it's like it's not even advantage for us anymore. Yeah, kind of like a it's little, actually uh, yeah. it'll actually be pretty interesting uh, today. Brisbane and New Zealand kind of play the first game, like first action since New Year's. So I'm interested to see like it's like another Christmas break to see if I don't know, how teams are going to play. I mean, it's still pretty early in the season. And for, you know, we had Christmas break then we're having yeah. this big break. It'll be interesting to see how teams are going to like come back out. I wonder if the game's going to be sloppy or if it's just going to be like as if nothing happened. Yeah, no, I'm I'm kind of curious, like. What have you guys been doing with your team in this time since you're not able to practice? Are you guys still having, you know, meet team meetings every day, film sessions? Like, what does it look like right now in terms of day-to-day um, like team uh, requirements or, or meetings, things like that? Um, I mean, pretty much, yeah, we do, like, via Zooms, and we'll go over, I guess, film and different schemes that we're trying to get better at. Mm-hmm. But guys that don't have COVID, I guess they're able to go to the gym and do light workouts and stuff like that. So. It's like you're, you're doing the best you can with a wild situation, but uh, it's it's pretty organized, I guess, given the circumstances still. I mean, it's actually uh, um, interesting. I feel like we have a, somewhat of an advantage with this situation because we had, you know, the period with Scott. When Scott was on Zoom just that whole time, and we were kind of doing Zoom meetings and Zoom FaceTime. And I, I don't know how your perspective is. I kind of want you to talk on it. But through my eyes, like, I felt like coming into Perth, Perth did a really good job. And, like, probably from my professional experience, has done, like, the best job, I think, of being, like, player-led and guys like you, Jesse, Mitch, and Kevin, kind of, like, organizing stuff, right? And, and even though uh, at first Scott wasn't there to, like, say, like, no, nah, like, this is wrong, you're not doing this hard enough, like, this is how this cut is, I felt like, at least in my my eyes, Jesse would, like, always tell me, like, no, nah, you know, this is how this is supposed to look. This is how this, you know, how we make this cut, you know, stuff like that. And so I feel like now in this space, we've already done two months of Zoom, whatever. 
right? And it, and, it, and it might be easier for us to integrate back into the court because we already have that experience. Yeah, that's actually a good point. I didn't even think of that. Um, like, as you know, like some of our film sessions, they could be very, very detailed. So yeah. for those few months where we're going through film with Scott over Zoom, everything has to be detailed because once mm-hmm. the call is done, we can't ask him no questions on the floor. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty clear with everything. And yeah. I think obviously getting through these first however many games we've had and polishing up like the areas that he really likes on when to cut and where you're supposed to stand with the spacing. Uh, I feel like it'll be riding a bike because like you said, yeah. we've been so detailed. Yeah. He's like a perfectionist damn near. So mm-hmm. in theory, <laughs> it sounds like it'll be smooth, but we'll see when we get back out there in a few days, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm definitely, uh, I've been paying attention and I'm definitely curious to see how the rest of the season unfolds for you guys. But I want to take it back a little bit. I want to go back to the early days, Bryce. Um, talk a little bit about growing up playing sports. I know you played basketball, football, baseball, anything else you did or, or what was your experience like kind of growing up? Yeah, I mean, I played a little bit of everything, especially like as a young kid, just because my family, they just love sports. So I played anything I could or anything that was cool, but around middle school I'd say like I just wanted to start to stick to basketball because one I had some health issues but also I wasn't growing quite as fast as the rest of my friends so I wouldn't have been <laughs> smart football anyways if I could, uh, yeah. could. football is also tough for the body man that's a different that's a different beast well <laughs> yeah. me and Jake were both football players back in the day ourselves so Bro, you know, you, back in our I, prime, I still our think you're lying I still think Vic is lying because the way this man throws a spiral is horrendous well, Jake well, Two torn labors later, you're not going to oh. throw, a, a, like, the tightest spiral. But I still got it. I think if the Bears needed a one-play miracle. Nope. 20 yards out, I got it. Maybe There's 10. not one quarterback that throws a 10-yard out better than me. No chance. I'm not going to touch that. We'll let that go. We'll let that go. <laughs> uh, all right, so, Bryce, so once you, you focus on basketball um, and locked in, kind of what was that like for you? Were you working out every day? Were you doing the 6 a.m. wake-ups, the two-a-days, like, what was your experience once you finally focused on just basketball? Man, yeah. So I was every day. I was practicing every single day. Um, but I never really had any trainers or anything like that. And back when I was coming up, there was no cool Instagram videos that said this is the way to practice. So I'd be at a park and I'd be shooting, you know, day and night. But when those fancy drills and then if people came up to play pickup, I'm yeah. playing for two, three hours. And then when they leave, I'm still at the court shooting. So it was just more so one-on-one time for me, uh, mm. day and night. But I guess that's where I honed my skills at the playground. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's the the pure essence of the game, right? Like you fall in love with it because you – it's that type of thing, right? You go to the park by yourself, you're getting up shots, and it it centers you, it calms you. You know, you find your peace, your rhythm. Um, I think that basketball is very unique in that way, right? You can go and have that experience, and it's not so scheduled, but you can still – uh, like work on your game and really like hone in on it. Right. And like, like you said, like basketball is pretty much the only sport where you can get better and you don't need somebody else yeah. like to practice or, or work on something. So I really got a kick out of that. Uh, I absolutely loved it. But I'd say the biggest thing for me growing up is I was never a firm believer in, okay, I got to get up at 6am or whatever. Like it never made sense to me. I just felt if you put in the work, like, if I put in the same work that I would have at 6 a.m. versus 4.20, like, I'm not going to uh, – in the afternoon, I'm not going to get any better no matter the time. Yeah. So, I'd pretty much work out, I'd say, more in the afternoons, kind of, because that's mm-hmm. when I'd be able to go out there by myself. Nobody's going to be out in that 100-degree heat. And by the time it started to cool down, that's when people would come play pickup. So, uh, that was the routine I had, and I pretty much stuck with it. Bryce, you – um. I know, I know, at least with me, you talk about your pride in being from Tucson and uh, how much that's like kind of shaped you. What, uh, what do you think kind of early on in these early days, what brought you to basketball and that being like, like, this is my love? Like, you know, did you have any role models or experiences where you were just like, basketball is the thing that um, it's going to kind of shape me and my character as I move forward? Um, yes, yeah, so I would say early on, I'd love basketball just because it was so fun. You could play it anywhere. Like you could, mm-hmm. like I said, play it by myself at the park or if I'm at school during recess or before school start, like I can go play it. So it was one of the more easily accessible sports I could play all the time. So I fell in love with that. And then also 
basically where I grew up wasn't a lot of opportunities per se. So like a lot of kids knew like if you were going to go to college or do anything, sports was your best chance. And my older brother, his best friend at the time, he was the one person I knew of that had actually gone to college and um, actually graduated like from my neighborhood. So Mm -hmm. and he he was eight years older than me. So when I saw him go off to college, it kind of clicked in my head like, okay, this is possible. Like somebody where I'm from is doing what I want to do. And it just helped me kind of believe in myself more and want to continue to stick to that dream. So when for you did it start becoming more serious? You know, I I think we're talking here about the early days, the passion about the game that that you felt. And then um, what, at what point did you start to feel like, okay, this is, there is opportunity here and the work that I'm putting in is starting to pay off. When did it get more serious? I would say it started to get serious for me, maybe around sixth or seventh grade. Wow. When I knew basketball is pretty much the only sport I could play at this point um, due to health reasons as well. And then knowing I'm going to need sports so I can go to college so I can just have an opportunity to have a better life. So, so was that the focus was really to get to college and create opportunity for yourself or was the NBA always in your mind? Oh, yeah. I mean, the NBA was always in my mind, but I knew. Like, I can't go to the NBA if I don't go to college. So that was always the, I guess, the final piece of the stepping stone. Got you. Okay, got you. Yeah. Well, you know, back you know, back in your day, you they probably could have came out of high school back then, though. I'll do, this. <laughs> I'll do that to him. I'll do that to him. <laughs> I apologize. As soon as I said it, I saw it. I was waiting on it. I was waiting on it. That's not what I meant. I knew he was going to take it there. I was waiting on it. I was sitting on it. I said myself for that. <laughs> Makes getting comfortable already on the show. Um, but um, I know, I know, as, as uh, you know, we can, we kind of joke about um, as things get serious because I know in, in my basketball like upbringing around eighth grade and high school is when it finally like clicked from just having fun with kind of my my friends and guys in the neighborhood to now like oh shit like I actually you know I'm competing for a spot like I I got to get minutes. There are actually coaches watching us play. And I know from learning your story that you getting recruited was a harder task than most people. Like you had to actually like really grind and kind of come up through it. So take us through high school and kind of like how you first got, got into high school basketball. Like were you on JV, uh, varsity, sophomores? Like kind of how like your the process went, you know what I'm saying? Because I feel like we, we interview guys and a lot of guys kind of have the story of, oh, yeah, you know, I played, I played, you know, I played hard. I got recruited. Now I go to college, but I feel like your story is very interesting and very humbling in the fact that you really did have to grind and there was nobody trying to give you anything easy. Yeah, for sure. So uh, speaking of the the high school journey. So, yeah, I played freshman uh, basketball as a freshman and then I did JV as a uh, sophomore, not a junior. And then I moved to Las Vegas for my junior year of high school. So that was a big change for me. And that, like, as you know, in high school sports, mm-hmm. around your junior and senior year, teams are pretty much set. So me going yeah. to a brand, a brand new city, that was actually a good uh, high school basketball team that where I was going to, they're not really looking to use me at all because I don't even have a big name anyway at this point. I mm-hmm. haven't even played. I went out there. I did the best I could. Um, but like I, I came off the bench as a junior and I averaged like maybe eight points a game. But my mom just kind of felt like it might have been a better opportunity for me out there. And it just kind of didn't go as planned. So, like, I begged my mom to let me move back to Tucson for my senior year because I told her, like, I never wanted to move to Vegas in the first place. Like, you know, yeah. if my, I felt like if my journey was going to fail, let me fail my way. Like, I, I want to yeah. go back to Tucson. That's my best chance. So she, I guess, reluctantly let me move back and it was like an all or nothing thing for me that year. Cause I knew I didn't have none of the careers. Some of my friends were having in high school. Like some of them were playing varsity since a freshman. So I was like, okay, well I got one year to make this count and it's going to be all or nothing. And that, that year being in that mindset and that focus is what shaped how I approached the game. Um, I'd say ever since. And that year I went on to be all city, all state, did all these things and still graduated with no scholarships. Got even turned down by a Division two school, which is crazy to me. Um, but yeah, and then luckily, like five days before school starts, I get offered um, by Providence in August. And yeah, the rest was history after that. So what? 
I want to ask, what was that like for you mentally, right? All that work that you just described, you're having your best season. You kind of did what you needed to do. A D2 school says, yeah, you can't play for us. How did you stay mentally and physically ready for that moment when Providence came? Um, I mean, mentally, it was tough. It, it was very tough because I just, I couldn't process why this was happening. Like mm -hmm. playing against so many guys who I felt I was just as good as if not better and they're going to like these like big time schools and i'm like man i can't even get offered by like even a montana state like they turned me down too and i'm like this is like the lowest form of division one and like i can't get them i'm getting turned down by d2 so it was but again i knew like this is all or nothing so i can't give in like something's even going to shake this year or, to, or basically that's the end of my dream so that kind of helped me stay focused knowing like i'm gonna know the answer to my fate within the next month or so and yeah luckily I got that phone call what was that like I was in such shock man because honestly <laughs> like I was never hyped up never had a big name um, yeah. in the basketball world so I always envisioned I was going to go to a very very small school in a small conference that's just kind of what I believed so when Providence called uh I was in shock and then the first thing I did I looked up the conference they were in and I'm like oh shit like this is the big east are you kidding me like so I was all for it. And I, I remember, I think I told Vic, I'm so glad I didn't have any other scholarships at the time because had I had two schools, yeah. I would have never picked Providence because I would have felt that was too big of a school for me and I would never get an uh, actual chance to play. But with that being my only hope, it was like one of those sink or swim things. And yeah. yep. the good thing about being in that situation was my senior year of high school had primed me already. Like I have to make this one year work, my one true shot at playing varsity. I got to make it work and it's all or nothing. And that's kind of how I felt when I got to Providence. Cause I was like, well, if I don't like it here, I'm not going to be able to transfer nowhere. No school has ever mm -hmm. thought good enough anyway. And if I leave, they're going to say like, okay, this is why this kid was never recruited. So it was another sink or swim moment, but it, uh, yeah, it ended up working out for the best. So when you got to Providence, you know, you're, you're moving in, moving day, you know, saying bye to everybody. What was your kind of, freshman year outlook like like did you have goals of you know I want to be all freshman team or what, what was your kind of perspective going into college and going into problems oh man yeah I had, I had some goals for sure so even though I had so much trouble trying to get a scholarship my confidence in myself was still like sky high and I just felt mm -hmm. like okay now my foot's in the door I'm in a big time school so I just got to average like 12 13 and I'll be good so in my, in my mind, before the first practice, I'm like, yeah, I'm here one year, two years max. I'm average about 15, 16. <laughs> like, I swear to God, that's what and I'm And you're like, yeah, I'm here one, two years, I'm out? Max. That I swear to God, that was my <laughs> come in there, and I'm riding the pine, the basically the <laughs> whole year, watching uh, Marshawn Brooks light it up. And it was very humbling, man, because, yeah, I, I don't know. I just felt like things was going to be different. But mm -hmm. because the guys were so competitive, even though we weren't, really good our first couple years the guys was so competitive and we would talk like the guys talk so much trash so I just wanted to get better I wanted to earn these guys respect and mm -hmm. I, yeah I just felt like okay maybe I'm gonna be here a little bit longer but I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna prove my worth sooner or later right. so I'm finding uh our coach had actually gotten fired after my freshman year uh, Were you guys not doing well? Is that why he got fired? I think there was a combination of things. So, like, they hadn't been doing well for quite a few years, and then there were some guys that was, like, getting kicked out of school for mm. off the stuff. So, Fair. like, we, we okay. were wild school when I got there, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to say the least. But um, – and then we had a new coach, Ed Cooley, and I just saw it as a huge opportunity for me to basically prove myself to a brand-new coach. And we had – Kiwi Gardner actually he had signed and he was ruled ineligible mm -hmm. so opened up a lot of play Wait, the ball is like Kiwi Gardner Kiwi Gardner oh, <laughs> oh down hero yeah so he was ruled ineligible and basically that opened up so much playing time for me and I had a breakout season uh, my sophomore year and basically never looked back since then so yeah talk us a little bit more about that I mean you you weren't mentally thinking you were going to be in the Big East right and now you're right. on the stage, you're getting more acclimated, you're getting comfortable. Like, what were some of the moments in your career playing there where you started to feel like, 
oh, I can really play at this level and not just play, but dominate, like lead the Big East in scoring. Yeah, so it was it was a slow buildup, but I would say I always felt I could play. Even when I was riding the bench, I, I felt like I could play because we would have to, like some of the freshman guys, we would play on the scout team. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if you know what that is, but yeah. on the scout team, you basically get to play the other team's best player against the starters, and you just get to hoop. And so midway, I'd say through our my freshman season, they put me on scout team. We were playing Villanova, and they had me play this dude Corey Fisher. And that was that was when I said to myself, I knew I wasn't tripping. I knew I could play no matter like who I'm on the floor with, because I just absolutely went ballistic. And that was the first time, yeah, I played my like myself against those guys, and my confidence was always there. And the work, and, I, and, it, and it came and, through. And after my breakout season, so, I mean, without going on a tangent, no, after, my, after my breakout season, my sophomore year, right, we had a couple more recruits that was coming in. So we had Chris Dunn and we had Ricky Lito. And these are two guys that's going to be basically playing in my position. And so I'm kind of worried, like, damn, okay, I've proven myself, but I feel like the politics just may run its course again because these are like McDonald Amer- all American type players. So they're going, they're going to kill my minutes, but crazy shit happens again. And Chris basically hurts his shoulder for the first half of the season, I would say. And Ricky's really eligible. And on the first play of the first game of the season, our starting point guard tears his hamstring on a jump ball, like going for the jump ball. So, coach had no choice but to rock with me for that first half of the season and I'm going like I'm I'm going pretty well first six games I'm averaging maybe 24 and five and I ended up tearing my meniscus which I didn't know at the time but I felt like how'd this you not, crunch- how do you not know well uh, <laughs> I was told they can't see anything on the MRI scan because okay. it's in a trip so and in my mind I'm like man I may never get this opportunity again you got two basically McDonald All-Americans and our starting point guard who's all big all big east player he's just tore his hamstring so he's out so like I'm never gonna have Mm -hmm. this much green light again that's what's going on in my mind so I'm like whatever pain I'm dealing with my knee I just got to deal with this shit because this is the opportunity of a lifetime and that was the season so I heard that December 1st that was the day I heard it versus Mississippi State and played through it and was blessed to end up being the Big East all the Big East leading scorer and all first team Big East that year. Yeah, set the tone. And that was the last year of the traditional Big East before we rearranged it the following year. But yeah, so I've had a lot of lucky things go my way to allow me to, I guess, capitalize on my opportunities, which is why I'm still so humble. Because mm-hmm. I feel I had so much luck following my path year after year at Providence. So it's like, it's almost impossible for me to be big headed. Yeah. But I mean, I think the important thing to know is that you put in the work. So you were ready for those moments. You know, you were always, you, you, your head was always in the right place where everyone goes down, you step up, you know, even with the injury, you still fought through that. I don't know how you did that. I don't know how you led the the big East in scoring with a torn meniscus. Yeah. I don't know either, man. And honestly, if they would have told me it was torn, Maybe I wouldn't have been able to push through it, but I believed what they told me so much that, you yeah, know, I'm fine. yeah, I'm good. They said, whatever you've done to your knee, you can't do anything worse. So it's just a matter <laughs> can you handle the pain? They said that. I just took that as like, okay, well, I don't know if I can cuss, but like, you in my mind, I don't, like, y'all not going to just call me a bitch. Like, you're not going to say it's yeah. up to whether I take pain or not. Mm-hmm. So when yeah. they said, I was like, there's no way I'm sitting out this year at all but yeah it ended up being a blessing in disguise it, c- it could have went the other way but yeah that shit worked out well first of all we all know um college athletes every college athlete i don't care what sport you play if they tell you that they can't see the mri that means uh the coach says get your ass out there and play <laughs> anyone listening when you go to college if you get hurt and they and they, they say uh well you know that means something's wrong but get your ass out there and play because we need you out there um, I, many a times I've had that situation, but now that we're getting through college and kind of kind of learning that you're killing it, walk us through the uh, NBA process and when you enter Wait, the draft. Before, before you do that, Vic, I want to talk mm-hmm. about the senior year because the senior year right. you guys won the Big East tournament. Mm-hmm. You went to the you went to the NCAA March Madness tournament and played North Carolina. Like real quick before we jump to the NBA, just kind of take us through like 
those moments, what was that like for you having that successful the season going to the, you know, going to March Madness, playing North Carolina, scoring 36 points? Um, it was just more so that whole season was everything coming full circle for me. So I think one reason I've never missed college, like when I look back at it is because I cherished it so much. Like I worked so hard to get there and then all the success I was having, like I had worked so hard for it. So I just enjoyed every moment because I never knew if I would see success like that again. And um, when we had the rearrangement of the new Big East, that was like our biggest blessing. So like, you got, we, we still had some good teams, but we got rid of some tough ones. And I didn't talk to Vic about Cincinnati. Uh, oh, I hated that team. <laughs> I, I hated that too. So yeah, so there, there was a lot of, a lot of moving pieces that kind of helped play a part in how successful we were as a team, I would say with the team success we had. But winning that Big East championship, man, I can't even explain it. Like, I, my mom and my brother was at that game. And for us to Where's beat... Where was that? It was at Madison Square Garden. Wow. Oh, okay. So to beat uh, Doug McDermott and Creighton, and he was the college player of the year at that time, it was it was just so amazing. And everybody had written, uh, written us off. So it was just so cool. And when the final buzzer went off, I had my mom on the floor. Like, it was just something I couldn't even describe. And I would have never thought, you know, would happen. So that was amazing. And then getting ready for the big, uh, the NCAA tournament. That was the first time my school had been to the tournament in over a decade. So like to be a part of a team that helped really turn our program around and basically made our basketball club look respectable again, it was, it was out of this world. And to have that final game, even though we lost the game I had against Carolina, uh, I just felt like, yeah, like I, I couldn't have damn near asked for a better ending because uh, it was, yeah, I, I still get, I guess, fans that run up to me whenever I'm in Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And all I talk about is that North Carolina game. You would swear I've only played one game in Providence. <laughs> but uh, it was amazing. When we came back from the tournament, like, I would go to a restaurant and they'd say, like, oh, it's on the house. Don't worry about it. Thanks for all you've done for Providence and all this stuff. So, uh, Prov's always got a special uh, place in my heart. That's amazing. That, I mean, that's the best. If you could write it, you know, that's how you'd want it to go. You'd want it to be that kind of a send off where, like, you leave it all out there and it, you know, doesn't always work out exactly how you want it to. But at least in that case, like, you know, you gave it everything you had for those four years. And at that point, you know, you're ready to move on and not look back. So as Vic asked, what was the, the NBA process like for you? Were you uh, prepping for the draft? Were you talking to teams? Just kind of take us through everything. Yeah, so of course, yeah, I'm, I'm prepping for the draft. But again, similar to high school, it's, uh, I, I couldn't understand it. I didn't even get an invite to the NBA Combine, which made no sense to me. Um, we won the Big East Championship. I was Big East MVP uh, for the tournament. Second in scoring, first in assists in the conference. Like all these things. And we're yeah. still a top five power conference in the country. And I didn't even get an invite, which was crazy to me, but I just felt like, okay, this is everything I'm used to. I've been doubted at every level I've ever gotten to. So why would I expect this to be any different? Um, So it was a grind. And the toughest part for me was on draft day. um, The Spurs had called my agent two or three times and they had said, we'll take Bryce late in the second uh, round if he agrees to do the draft and stash route. And at the time, I didn't know what that was. My agent explained to me that um, basically they already signed everybody back from the previous year because they had just won the finals. Mm-hmm. And that was the first year any NBA team had brought back a full roster. So he said, there's no chance of you making the team, but they like you and they want to draft you and just send you overseas for a year and go from there. And I just kind of thought about everything I had been through in my journey like dating back to when I was a kid and early high school and how much I had to grind for every step. And I'm like, I didn't want to rule myself out automatically because I felt like it would be hollow hearing my name called my family going crazy. But I know I'm not going to the NBA this year. I'm going straight overseas. So they must've called maybe around the 40 something pick. And I told my agent, I was like, no, I don't want to do it. Like tell them thanks, but no. And I want to say it got to about 48 and they, I can't remember the exact numbers, but they had maybe the 54, mm-hmm. the 56, and maybe like the last pick or something like that. And they called again around the 48th and 49th pick. And they said, are you sure? Like, you don't want us to draft him. And I'm like, fuck man. So I'm thinking about it again. And I'm like, 
no. I was like, I've, I've never, I've never budged on myself. I've always backed myself every step of the journey. I was like, I can't give in now. So I was like, no, tell them no again, but thank you. And that was like the hardest thing. And they said, okay, like, all right, we won't draft him, but um, basically we'll talk after the draft, like with free agent stuff and all that. So once it got to about 55 or 56 and I knew like, okay, they, they're not going to draft me. I just snuck out the house, went for a drive. And it was like, it was crushing, man. Absolutely crushing having to go through the D league route. And, uh, but I, I grinded it again and just said, it's back to the drawing board. And I ended up getting a call up from Utah, maybe a week after all-star break mm-hmm. and ended up signing with them for the rest of the year. And with the few opportunities I had with them, I showed to myself as well as other people I can play with anybody as long as I'm given an opportunity. I want to ask one of my favorite things, and I love Vic's story so much. It, it blew me away when he told me about his first uh, day or his first time playing in the NBA. What was mm-hmm. that like for you the first time you stepped out in the NBA? Floor? It's crazy. I don't even think I've told Bryce the, my first game in the league, which was nuts. Joe so did. I, I, here, I'll, here, I'll say it. Do it. I'll say it. I, um, so uh, um, similar to you, I um, – didn't get invited to the combine, right? My, my senior year, I'll tell the whole story. So early my senior year, my coach, you know, I came back to my fifth year because I got hurt my sophomore season. And after my fourth year, a lot of people thought I was going to go to the draft or transfer to a bigger school. Um, I did it. You know, I, I kind of stayed loyal. Uh, I was like, I want to, you know, I want to win with my, my guys, my friends. You know, I don't force them where, you know, it's close to Chicago, my mom and my dad, because we play. So I stayed and, uh, I'm not going to say we didn't have a ton of talent, but, you know, we were kind of, like, shorthanded a little bit. And my coach, you know, makes the decision from playing me at wing and kind of the four. <clears throat> this is like, you're going to be the point guard this season. And, you know, that, that whole summer, you know, I, I, I would say I'm pretty smart, but I, I, would, I never had, like, the 100% comfortability to just be the primary ball handler, right? Like, I was always cool, like, if our point guard threw it back to me and I would just bring it up on a big. But never against, like, I never thought, like, I would be able to bring it up against the big 10-point guards who picked up 94 feet. You know, I'm the guy while everyone runs down the court, and our coach is just like, you got it. So, you know, I, I transitioned to being a point guard. And actually, was was pretty comfortable doing it. Like, I didn't mind being a big point guard. I could just kind of, like, slowly bring it up, back guys down, and then blow by when I needed to. Played and was playing pretty well early on. Was averaging, like, 19-7 and, like, 6. It was on draft boards um, and pretty high, actually. And that was my senior, my fifth year senior year was the first year that you could hire an agent in the season, like without consequence. And so I told my dad that I didn't want to talk to anybody because, you know, they're calling, trying to, you know, sign me. But I was told my dad, you can just do it. Just don't tell me about it. And so as the Big Ten is about to start, we're like right around 500, I would say. We got we had a real tough non-conference schedule. And I'm playing well. We just can't finish games. Like we lost Oklahoma in double overtime. We lost to, uh, I forget who else, like yeah, all these ranked teams in overtime and like close. You lost to Michigan. We get to, that one big yeah, game. We, yeah, we, we get to uh, the, the Big Ten, and I have like really, really bad tendonitis in my knee, almost to the point where I feel like I've torn something. And um, the agent I ended up signing with my, my first pro year is like, just sit out. He was like, just fuck the season, sit out, get ready for the, the draft, and just like, just like, allow NBA teams to, like, have that mystery about you. Like, they've seen good. We don't want to show them bad. Like, just, you know, kind of sit out. And so I feel like I presented this, and, like, I got the response of, don't, you know, you're going to quit on your guys type of thing. And so I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, you're right. So I play, play bad because I'm on one leg. I'm getting doubled and tripled, and I can't really create separation. So we go through the process. I go into the draft. Don't get invited to the combine. We get a good – decent amount of workouts I work out for the Orlando Magic and of course it's all point guards like it's an all point guard workout I'm talking like five ten guards we're playing full court one-on-one we're doing like you got your three stops in a row and it's like very like high level guards and I can I can pick up guys 94 feet and it's something that I think I, I actually am pretty good at but I'm not, I can't do it like every time you know it's not like something like I'm gonna yeah I'm, I'm walking up there with you every time. Not like every now and then I might surprise you and like really like turn you, but like, I can't do it every time. And they're saying like, no, nah, you gotta, the coach is like, no, nah, get up there and do it. And so <laughs> I'm struggling, you know, I'm gonna work out like number seven in a row. Guys are blowing by me. And I'm like, bro, at this point, I'm like, bro, the magic, I call my agent at the work. I'm like, yeah, the magic aren't it. Like take them off the list. 
they're not calling us. <laughs> it's like, bro, it's not going to work. We get to draft day, and teams are like, you know, we'll trade in the second round for them. We won them. We really liked them. And no one drafts me. Like, I had to leave the house, go on a walk. It's tough. And the magic, like, as soon as the draft ends, or, like, right at the end, they're like, you know, bring them in. And I guess they made a deal with my agent that they would sign me as long as I stayed healthy in the G League. I didn't know that. That was a thing that they had. Like, as long as I was healthy and playing decent, in the G League, they would bring me up. So I was in the G League doing my thing, you know, um, really playing well. And they signed me to the two-way. The coach at the time was super old school. And, like, he, he just, like, hated rookies, right? Like, when I was in training camp, actually doing well. And mm-hmm. one day I did really well, like, in our scrimmage. And the, only, the one thing he said to me was, good job today, Rook. Don't fuck this up. Right? <laughs> it's the only thing he had said <laughs> to me. And so I'm like, all right, that's great. End up going to the G League, playing in preseason with him, end up going to the G League, doing well. And for whatever reason, like, that first month, like, I didn't get I didn't get called up. So I'm like, all right, I'm just waiting, you know. Our G League team was good. Like, and I, I really enjoyed our team. I played with Isaac Humphreys. Um, we had like a good chemistry down there, and I finally we we play in um, uh, College Park. We play against Taj McCall, play against them, okay. win in like double overtime, and they finally call. And the GM after the game is like, "Yo, send Vic up." You know what I'm saying? Like, so as soon as the game ends, I fly back to Orlando. And I'm like, "Geek!" I'm like, "I'm finally playing." You know, this this is it. You know, like I no, no matter of fact, no, we played in Greensboro, right? And they, you know, tell my the GM whatever, like send Vic up. So after the game at six a.m., I gotta f- catch up. Me and the other NBA guy that was down, Melvin Frazier, I gotta catch a flight at six a.m. to New Jersey, catch a connecting flight from New Jersey that morning to Orlando to play a game at like one p.m. So or like seven, right? But we gotta get to shoot around at one p.m. So we get to New Jersey at, at like eight, right? And the flight is, I guess, our flight from Greensboro is delayed. So we get to New Jersey. Our flight from New Jersey to Orlando is leaving in like 10 minutes. And it's on the opposite side of the airport. So me and, me and Melvin are like running, like full sprinting through the airport trying to make it. We're the last two on the plane and finally get on, right? We finally land. We get, get into Orlando. They lose all my bags. <clears throat> so I don't have any of my clothes. I got my one pair of bag- basketball shoes in my, in my book bag because I guess, thankfully, I was just thinking, like, let me just keep them in here. So I only had that. And I was freaking out because the night before – the, like the, the you know, they're like Katie, their director of basketball operations kind of was like, you're not going to suit up. You're just going to like, you know, the coach wants you to come in, be in practice and then watch the game and kind of like acclimate into it. So I'm like, okay, cool. That morning she calls and she's like, you know what? You're playing tonight. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I don't got none of my stuff. You know, I don't yeah. have no clothes or nothing, right? I just have the shoes. And, and, you know, luckily she's like, we can give you stuff, like whatever. We can give you compressions. You know, they be able to give you stuff. Yeah. And so I'm like, all right, cool. So we land and shoot-arounds are like one. We land at like 12, 10. So we got to Uber right to the uh, gym. So we, we get in, you know, Melvin kind of goes in, you know, because he's on the team. You know, he kind of like goes in, whatever. I'm in and I'm geek, you know, I'm seeing everybody. I mean, you know me, I'm like, yo, what's up? Like, what's happening? How are y'all right. doing? You know, I'm like chest bumping people through the door. Like, I'm like, it's about time. I can't wait. And I'm playing tonight. Like, I can't wait. We're playing the Clippers. So I, I, I get in. And everyone's like, like zombie walking around the facility. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, all right, guys, like it's funny. Well, you know, yeah. come on, let's, let's pick it up. Like, you know, y'all got the yeah. law down here now. It's time to, to win some games. Law down here. <laughs> yeah, let's string some games together. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, y'all have finally found that missing piece. And uh, I, I, I go to Terrence Ross, who's pretty cool. I'm like, yo, like, you know, what's up, T? Like, you know, good to see you again. Like, blah blah. And he kind of like pissed. I'm like. You know, like, kind of, like, sad, upset. And I'm like, yeah. Yo, what's going on? And he tells me Kobe just died. And I'm like, what? You know, I think he's joking. So I'm like, all right, yeah. You know, yeah got whatever. It's shit, it's all right, whatever. My first day, yeah, Kobe died. And the more people I talk, like, I'm seeing, the more, like, down faces, don't want the same thing. And the same lady, Becky, tells me, no, we just got a report. Kobe just died in a helicopter crash. And I'm like, no way. So we all, everyone, like, their guy's crying. We hold a meeting. We don't even do shit around. We just hold the meeting. And our coach is like, yo, Kobe just died. It's like been confirmed. We don't know if the game's going to go on tonight. And so everyone's just kind of like, damn. And I'm sitting there like, wow. Like, at first, I'm, I'm really sad that Kobe died. But I'm like, wow. What are the odds? Like, and I, I didn't, we didn't see it or hear the news because we were on the plane all day, all morning. That's so and crazy. And so, 
the only reason the game went on is because Doc Rivers is like, Kobe would have wanted us to play, right? Like, Kawhi and Paul George are like, no, don't play. Like, we're not going to play. And Doc Rivers is like, no, like, let's play because Kobe would have wanted us to play. So the game still goes on, right? And so now I now, – and I have my pregame shoot-around with my coach, L, and I'm, and I'm like, it's first time, right? So I'm like, I'm like killing myself in this workout, right? <laughs> Full sweat. I'm like, I'm ready to go. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like – Bro, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. And yeah. uh we, we get we get the game goes and I'm just sitting waiting, like just sitting, you know, my knees are going, I'm just waiting. And I, I don't I don't go in, right? So it gets to the fourth quarter and I'm thinking it's close game. I'm thinking like, oh, I won't play. And I think we get the lead, like we go on a 10 on run, and then Kawhi scores 12 in a row by himself. And it's tight. And they pull up by like six with like a minute left. And I think our coach is just like, all right, like, fuck it. The young guys, all of them come in. And so he says, my name is like, let's let's go. And the Clippers leave their starters in. And so I'm like, yeah. all right, you know, I'm stiff as, you know, stiff as a board getting out here. And, you know, my, my coach always had a thing of like, you know, just putting like, because I was having pretty good defense. But he was like, you know, you got to go out there and get quiet. You got to <laughs> show us what you got. And I was just like, all right. Luckily, the game was like over. So, you know, they didn't run any plays. They were just kind of like dribbling around or whatever. But yeah. now nah, my first – my first NBA experience was a delayed long flight getting in Orlando and Kobe Bryant passing away. That's crazy. Yeah. And so that's, that was like my welcome to the NBA. That's that's certainly a welcome, man. Damn, that's wild. Yeah, and then I mean, it was it was interesting. Like my uh, my next question for you was uh like describing your NBA experience. Was it everything you thought it was going to be? Or like what like what were kind of like your your first impressions when you got it, like finally got your foot in the door. Yeah. So I, I don't know if I even had any expectations, man. I was just so excited. Like mm-hmm. when I got news, like, all right, shit, I'm going to Utah. Like, yeah. Like I, I couldn't believe it. So the first thing I thought of was like, <clears throat> damn, I remember like when I was like a little, little kid and I'm mm-hmm. like, damn, I watched Utah play against uh, Jordan in the finals. Like, well, man, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So, I'm hyped, right? And I would say the biggest the biggest welcome for me was I think actually our first game we played the Lakers actually. That was our first game. I didn't get in that game, but I mean Kobe was Was my Kobe favorite. playing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So Kobe my favorite player ever, so I'm like, damn, my first game ever is against, you know, Kobe and then but I ain't getting the game, so that was whatever. The next night, so I think it was a back-to-back. We played Denver. And I actually got in that game and I just, I felt so happy because the first shot I ever took was a three. And, you know, I, I came in like garbage time minutes. The game's decided. <clears throat> it's probably the last three minutes of the game. But for me, and this this showtime now. Like, yeah, yeah, right. So I'm, you know, I'm running all over the court. I got happy feet on defense. I'm doing a bunch of extra shit. Mm-hmm. But it just let me know, like, okay, I got a lot of work to do. Because at that time they had Ty Lawson. And he's the first player in my career where I've ever played against a guy who I felt was both stronger than me and just as fast as me, if not faster. Like, I, I, you usually one or the other. You're either faster yeah. than me and you're not stronger or you're stronger than me and you're not fast. Luckily, like, he wasn't being aggressive. Like, he would do these moves coming off the screens and mm-hmm. I had happy feet. Because you know how it is, Vic, like, when you're trying yeah. to, like, impress and play hard defense. Yeah, yeah. You fuck you up. Start you probably played too hard, yeah. yeah. Yeah, a little bit. But luckily, he wasn't looking to score. Like, he mixing me up, but he's just, you know, making the pass. So that was cool. But anyway, so I, I get this kick out, uh, a kick out three. So one of my teammates misses shot. Our center gets the rebound, and I'm just wide open. I haven't shot nothing. Like, this is, like, the first 30 seconds in the game. I pull that and it's straight cash. And I was like, oh man. Like I was like, all right, I'm here. Like I got my first NBA points. Get out the way. And, yeah, got got it out the way. And it was cool, man. So I started to play a little bit. Um, not a lot, but enough to I guess where they liked me because they kept re-signing me to another 10 day. <laughs> and by the time they ended up signing me for the rest of the season, I want to say Trey Burke had ended up hurting his back. And basically, because we weren't going to make the playoffs, they had sat him the last six or seven games of the season. And so Quinn Snyder, who's the head coach of the yep. Jazz now, first year, 
and he had pulled me aside before we played Memphis, I think. And he told me, he said, you're going to get the backup bit, uh, the backup minutes for the rest of the season. He said, cause Trey's back is hurt. And you know, like, it's no point in trying to kill him basically when I can make playoffs. And he told me, he said, look, I've noticed you've like, you've been trying to fit in. You haven't tried to be too aggressive because you don't want to step on anybody's toes and you're trying to be a facilitator. He was like, but he said, I want you to be aggressive for basically the rest of the season when you get in these minutes, he said, cause you're a scorer. He said, and don't worry if you're missing shots. He said, if you're, you miss four or five shots in a row, keep shooting. He said, because when you're on, you're on. And he said, he said, I know that's what you do best. That's so a, when he's, that's an amazing, yeah. that would be an amazing feeling to have a coach <laughs> at that level that tells you. Exactly. So now I'm like, I can't believe you just told me that. <laughs> so I just feel like the cuffs, you know, they're coming off now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have to try to fit in. Coach actually told me what he wanted me to do. Yeah. And so I was doing good for the times I was in there. I want to say for that five or six game span, I averaged like, maybe 12, yeah, maybe 12 or 13 points a game in like 20 minutes of play. Like something that was like very, very good. Yeah. But one that I'll always remember is when we played Dallas, I was so hyped playing against them because like I'm such a student of the game. And when I was in college, all I did was study players who were undrafted and my size and patched out career. Yeah. So they had J.J. Beret on the team who I'm like – I, I did so much research on him. I know everything he did in college and all that. <laughs> so I'm hyped playing against them. And long story short, <clears throat> I had, I scored 21 points that game in 25 minutes. And I caught the luckiest dunk of my life. So when I was in the, <laughs> when I was in the league, we used to have this drawn up alley-oop play that I would get, you know, pretty much once a game or so. And that day at shoot around, or at breakfast, actually, before we even got to shoot around, Quinn had me draw up that play. He said, we're going to try to do this at some point during the game. So I drew it up for him, and I didn't think anything of it. And we're in the middle of a timeout, and I've only been in the game maybe three minutes so far to start the game. And Quinn tells me, he says, yo, uh, okay, Bryce, uh, draw up that play. We're going to throw the lob for you. So I'm like, oh, shit, like in my head. So I play it cool. I think I fucked up the play. (laughs) Because <laughs> I was so nervous, but I just said somebody need to set me a screen on that right side. So we got the moral of the story. And Rodney Hood, he threw me like, a, it was a terrible lob, but I just felt like I had to go get it. Because I was like, yo, if I don't make this play, they're never going to throw this shit to me again. So as he throws it, I see Dwight Powell, and I think it's uh, something Harris. I forget his name. Devin Harris. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I see them flying, like, out the corner of my eye, and I get nervous because I'm already in the air. So I catch it with my left, and I just, like, tried to hurry up and make an attack at the rip. My eyes were actually closed when I threw it. And when I threw it and landed, I hear the crowd go crazy. And so, like, it looks like I'm acting tough, like, to the bench, but I kind of turned, like, conversation, like, did I just make that shit? Like, what just happened? And, um, yeah, so that kind of set the tone. The crowd was going crazy. And then I just started playing exceptionally well from there. My confidence went through the roof. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it was it was an amazing game. And then from there, I was, like, I was getting up at least a minimum 10 to 11 shots. Like, I actually felt like this was Providence happening all over again. Like, I'm starting to get um, – my small window of opportunity and take advantage. And I thought I was on my way because at the end, our last game of the season, I think I had 14 that game as well. Um, the backup center for Houston at the time, he came up to me after the game and was like, yo, I respect what you're doing. I appreciate your story and, and all this stuff, like keep grinding. And I'm like, oh shit, this dude knows who I am. Like, <laughs> So um, to continue, I guess, on that first whole yeah. stint of, Going into summer league, basically what they had told me, because Dante Exum, he tore his ACL, I believe it was, in FIBA on a non-contact play that summer. So what Utah had said to my agent at the time was, we don't know if Dante is going to be back in time to start the season. So you might have to start some game um, next year. So at that point, it wasn't even, okay, am I going to be team next year? You telling me, like, I'm starter so i'm like like for a few games anyway yeah yeah because ready so i'm like oh shit this is amazing so that summer league i played 
uh, very well for them. But they signed this guy, Raul Neto, mm-hmm. and guaranteed his contract. So I'm like, okay, this is not adding up. Like, he was a point guard. And I'm like, but they haven't guaranteed mine yet. And they had told my agent, oh, don't worry about it. Like, we just want to... We just want to get familiar with his game or something like that. And I'm like, you know, business. so then that's when like kind of how I felt like how my college experience where somebody gets hurt or somebody's ruled ineligible opens up an opportunity for me. What I thought was happening again in Utah it slowly started to change because once we got to preseason, I wasn't really getting any reps in practice. And like they would tell me like, oh, no, let Raul get this, like let him do a couple more reps. So I'm starting to see the writings on the wall. And they ended up cutting me before the season uh, even started. And I was I was crushed because it just didn't make sense. I felt like I had earned I had earned the maddening and, part about it. Right. And my thing was like, I don't mind. Like, if you're going to cut me, let me play myself out of the position. Like, let me right. fuck it up. I felt like I didn't yeah. do anything. Got cut. And um, yeah, I, I found out after the fact, New Orleans, they were. I guess, pretty keen on me at the time. And they had asked Utah, what are your plans with Bryce? And they had said, no, nah, like, we're not getting rid of him. We like him a lot. And so they was like, okay, cool. They cut me two days later, but in between those two days, New Orleans wouldn't sign Nate Robinson. So yeah. in honest- Isn't like, the crazy I, part of the NBA? That's just- it, it was, yeah. So I, I couldn't even watch NBA basketball for a good two, like good two years. Like I would see somebody on the roster and just be like, oh, he's on the team too. And I would turn the game off. Yeah, it, it took a long time to kind of get over that. But I still wouldn't change it for the world, though, because that little stint, it, man. Yeah. Six or seven games where I had the backup minutes. I showed what I can do when given the opportunity. Um, so, like, even if I never played again in the NBA, yeah. I mean, it's not what I wanted, but, like, I could live with it, though. Especially yeah, yeah. in Denver for the preseason uh, with Perth a couple years back. Uh, we played Denver and we played Utah. Utah beat the hell out of us, and I was too hyped, I guess, to be playing them again. Yeah. So I only need points, but I didn't shoot the ball well. And then we played Denver, I think, two days later, and I played like myself again, had 33 um on 11 to 21 shooting and that's i think that's the most anybody's ever scored on an nba team from yeah from NBA. Sure, so i was like okay i was like again it's like bryce it's not you he was never the problem like you just ran into a numbers game and now like i'm just so much more at peace with it and that year denver finished second in the west actually so it wasn't like it was a cupcake team yeah i mean that's that's the right mentality to have because in a day like you control what you can control and you did your thing there's nothing there's no point in in letting that affect you after because otherwise it's going to affect your future you know you're not going to perform uh at your highest level if you're still salty and upset about what happened to you um and unfortunately that's the reality of the nba it's a business and it's a cold one and it sucks that that happened but like clearly that didn't stop you from having success so after that and I know you bounced around a little bit. You went to, you played in China, you played in the Turkish mm-hmm. League. What about Perth? What about Australia and the NBL? Really stuck out to you, and has also clicked for you. So without going on a huge tangent, um, when I played in Turkey with uh, Ephes, there was like a lot of ISIS stuff going on at the time, and basically these isolated incidents that would be in a city so far away from where I'm at. Every couple weeks, it would just seem like it'd be an incident that gets closer and closer and closer to the city I'm in. And eventually there was like a bomb went off at a very, I guess, well-known area, like where people go eat and yeah. like shot at, and it was followed by gunfire. So this was maybe 20 minutes from my apartment where I was staying. And at that point, I was just like, all right, I, I'm already not enjoying my European experience because like I, I was playing consistent minutes and all that. And I'm like, now nah, I got to worry about safety. I'm like, no, nah, this, this ain't it. Like, I don't want to be here no more. And, but I'm, I'm not a quitter though. So like, I, like I, I've had team, not teammates, but I've known guys before who might play somewhere and they don't like it and they just leave. And even though I didn't enjoy my experience at all, I just felt like I couldn't quit. Like I had to ride it out. Mm-hmm. But with that gunfire <laughs> and those uh, bombs went yeah, off. Yeah, I changed I was, it real quick. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I got to read out of here now. So I found my agent told me, he said, I have two, two options for you. He said, you can either go to Russia 
or you can go to Perth. And I was off anything European at that point, just for that year. Like I just, I needed a mental reset because this is where I'm still bitter about the NBA and all that stuff. So I'm just like, nah, like get me, get me out of Europe. And he told me, he was like, all right, well, Perth, he was like, there's either second to last on the ladder or last place. So he said, they're not going to make playoffs. You'll be there six weeks and at the max. And then you could just have an early off season. So I was like, yep, that's perfect. Like, cause I didn't know much about Australia anyway, like, especially not with a basketball league. So I'm like, cool, just send me there. I'll just do my little time and then we'll reset for the following year. And I fell in love with the game again. I felt, I felt good, like basically helping turn the season around, like helping the team turn the season around. We won the championship that year. That year? And yeah, we won that year. Yeah. Either last place or second to last when I got there. And I got to, I got to Australia. <laughs> it was so crazy, man. And then I think I set the record as well for the most points in a grand final game um, ever. And yeah, so I had 45 uh, for game three, clinch the series. And it was just, yeah, it was just some wild stuff that I, I couldn't have ever pictured. But after that, I was like, damn, I love this place. Like, all right, let me go ahead and come back. And I've been coming back ever since. And I'm a big person who likes to reflect on things. Mm -hmm. And ever since I've reflected on everything that transpired in my professional career that led me to come to Australia and all the success I've had since, I just felt like this was kind of what was in the cards anyway. So now I'm not bitter about anything because I know every opportunity I've had, I've given it everything I got. And Sometimes it's going to go your way. Sometimes it's not. But as long as you play your part, I feel like you can always live with the results. Yeah, man, that's incredible. I mean, three-time MVP, three-time champion. It seemed like on paper, right? It seems like you're happy and playing well and it's just working. You know, I think hearing your story gives so much more context to it. But, you know, you you went through all of this. It's it's no mistake. You know, you're you're there for a reason and you're playing your game and you clearly are enjoying it and it's paying off. Um, how is it, I have to ask, now you have a new teammate, Vic, how is it playing with Vic in the short time that you guys have been together? What's that been like for you? Uh, it's been, it's been amazing, man. Like it's, it's so cool to just see, like, see somebody that can turn it on like that and just go crazy where they have a two or three minute spurt where they get a quick 10 points. Yeah. And then like, they kind of chill out for a little bit and then they'll have another like five minutes spurt where they get another six to eight points and then have like a crazy block or something like that. Just <laughs> having somebody that can get some dunks this season. He's getting some crazy dunks. Come on now. I'm aging. But he did, he did miss the open dunk though. I think after he turned 26, <laughs> that two sticks no, I did. Yeah, no. The old legs, the old legs caught up. <laughs> 26 is no, different. I'm getting, I'm getting back. I'm getting back at it though. You, Hey, it, it's funny. He says that. When I when I was in summer league, they they said one of the one of the reasons the Lakers were like, ah, we don't know if Vic is athletic anymore. And I was like, well, you know, that's I mean, I just had ankle reconstruction, so you know, I might not be athletic right now, but you give me a couple months, like I'll get it, I'll get it back at some point. No, well, it's, right. been, I, it's been incredible playing um, with Bryce as well, like having a guy to like kind of like play off of, who's not selfish and can kind of you know dictate the flow of a game. I told on New Year's after the late camp, I told uh, some of the guys, I was like, never in my life did I think, like, if I was given, like, an opportunity or I could, like, you know, affect the game, would I ever think I would just be, like, carried offensively? And it was one practice in Perth when I first got there. And then we were scrimmaging, playing, like, four-minute uh, quarters. When I tell you the game was, like, 30 to 28 and Bryce had 29 of our points, and I turned into one of the guys <laughs> just getting the rotational pass and giving it right to him. And like, no, nah, no, nah, you got it. You got it, man. You got it. Take us home. You guys were sitting in the corner waiting. Um, hey, it, it, was, it was, you know, they, they've, been, they've been some beauties to watch. I mean, even, even the Cans game, we came out about as flat as ever. I had food poisoning two days before. Like, it, it seemed like we were on the ropes. And, you know, we had the, the saving grace of Bryce, you know, made a couple threes, hit a couple tough shots, and it just opened up the defense. So it's definitely been been nothing short of, of great playing with O'Cotton. Well, excited to see how the rest of the season unfolds. I know we're running out of time. And Vic, you want to lead with the last Well, one? here's our tradition, man. Bryce, name your uh, top three best basketball players ever. You can't pussyfoot around the order. 
It's got to be three, two, one. That's how it's got to go. You know, we've done it with football players or basketball players. You know, let's let's go ahead and hear your unbiased opinion. I'll mute myself so we don't have any, any bias. We're not going greatest, right? We're going best. Like, we're the not greatest going ever. Not the greatest ever. All right. Well, before I say that, I'm just going to tell you what greatest mean to me. Accomplishment. So, I feel a player could be more accomplished than somebody, but it don't mean they better. So, I'm just giving you that context when we talk about greatest. And Vic doesn't love that, but I, I'm I'm with you. You said what? Vic doesn't love that, but I'm with you. I'm following. Oh, yeah. well, How do I not you, love that, Jake? You're doing, answer, the, eye sure. you're doing the eye roll. I can see your eyes. My, my answer, my answer for sure is going to lead with that. It doesn't matter. Go ahead, Bryce. And I, I always exclude Bill Russell and Will. They in their own category, so we ain't talking about them. So we got Mike number one. Ah, Jesus. Who's two? For me, I'm going. I'm going, Mike. I'm going. I'm. I'm going. <laughs> Going Kobe, I'm going Kobe. I knew he was going to go Kobe. I knew he was going to do it. That doesn't fit your greatest mold. You huh? just said accomplishments. You, you just oh, said accomplishments. I understand. That's right. That's right. That's my bad. My yeah, bad. My bad. That was my best. That's my yes. best. Okay. All right. Greatest. Greatest is Mike. Still. Is it LeBron? Kareem, not like LeBron. How is all LeBron not in either one of these things? Kareem and then Bron. Wait. Wait. wait what do you mean? I, I, I have. Mean, you, I mean, you're you're thinking. I'm just I'm just saying. You're thinking about a long time here. And have, in either category, LeBron would have to be in, in both top threes. He is. He's in both of them. Vic's just saying the amount of time you were taking to get to it, you should have just yeah, said you, I mean, it, it was, it was no. like an easy – it was like easy Mike Kobe for you. And all I'm no. saying is LeBron's no, no. got to be in a, a, a quick short. Oh, so for my best one, I was debating is LeBron two or three. It was never a doubt is he in there. And then okay. it was the same thing for Kareem. But overall – you look at the accomplishments if for greatest, like yeah. I'll give it a nod. Just so what makes Kobe better than LeBron? Kobe was a better – he was a better player to me throughout the course of his career. He just didn't have the same team success. And plus, he played both ends of the floor. I, I really like that. Even even LeBron in his later – LeBron doesn't. I, I, even, I'm, I, I, I might argue now LeBron might not as much anymore. But he did back in the day now. Even in his later years. So for me – I like the fact that with Kobe, you can argue he's a top he's a top three probably offensive player all time, as well as a top three on ball defender all time. And that's crazy to think. I like, I like that argument. Like that's that's crazy to me. And Kobe's one of those players, he can affect the game still, yeah. even if he's shooting 13 for 35 on a given night. Or if he's he'll find to affect yeah. the game. Yeah. Well, you're playing right into Jake's hands. Jake yeah. is a uh, diehard Lakers fan. He loves the way the t- their team is uh, structured right now. Hold on. He loves the way their team is structured right now. We're running out of time. We don't, don't do we that. have time for Jake to explain. <laughs> don't do that to but the he loves the way. Don't do that to he the He loves people. the way the Lakers are playing. He loves the, how the team is organized. He he loves them. He loves them. He loves that they're going to finish tenth in the West. He loves it. I love it. I'm I'm so happy with it. Westbrook's playing great. They're I mean they still got guys hurt who haven't even touched the court yet. Right. I mean this is re- this is great yeah. time to be a Laker fan. Bryce, thanks for joining the show, man. Really appreciate <laughs> you sharing your story. Vic is just hey, hold, hold going up, man. Who's your top three? Who your top three? Let Vic go first. It's uh Mike, LeBron, and Kareem, maybe. Mike LeBron, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna do my thing. Mike LeBron and Kareem. Kobe, Kobe, Kobe. Hey, he's biased oh, though. He's a Laker. That's just how I'm feeling today. It's Kobe. All for all, one, he's two, probably the best Laker ever. He's yes. my best Laker ever. But but is he objectively the best Laker ever? He better cream imagine. I think. Yes. I feel like if I gotta give if, it, to, gotta give it to Kobe. Had Shaq. I mean, if Kobe had Magic's team, Brent, he would have the same team success. There's no debate on who's the better individual player. The only reason you would give the nod to Magic is because of the team success. I would say, but it's damn near not, the same. But, and not because Magic was a good player. Magic was a great player, but he, he come on now, he's not better than Kobe. <laughs> you kidding me? I got. I'm, I'm asking. asking. I'm asking. I'm just throwing. And how about Kareem? All-time Listen, leader in points. Kareem, in my all time, always because Magic elevated Kareem to the statu- stature he is. Period. That's a fair point. You can have that point. And, hey, and look, and this is all, all right. I'm gonna say about that. Kareem had four years to do some shit with Lakers before Magic got there. He even missed the the playoffs in his prime with them. And Kareem won five chips with uh, the Lakers, right? He only got one finals MVP with them. But nobody bats an eye on that. Magic was the ringleader of that. But everybody yeah, wanted to Showtime give... Showtime Magic was... Showtime Magic but was the guy. Everybody wanted to give Kobe shit for not winning one finals MVP when I'm he played just, with... I'm, all you know I'm what? saying is, you know I think if we ask all of LA, show. anytime, anytime, Bryce, I, it's a pleasure 
talking hey, 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 I'm it's glad you guys. I'm with it. This is fantastic, Vic. Don't Fine, don't. Man, look, us. Bulls are number one in the East. I have no I have no qualms right now. The Bears uh, are the Bulls are rolling. We're back. The Bears are back. Bulls are back. Bulls are so goddamn back. It doesn't matter. We're number uh, one in the East. Yeah. Once we trade Bryce. and get a backup center, Bryce, I gotta get you out of here before we take up more of your time. Appreciate uh-huh. you. Good luck for the rest of the season, man. Appreciate, yeah, appreciate you, man. it, Bryce. All right, guys. Yes, take sir. care. This podcast is presented by Bristol Studio. Sound editing by Rashad Allen. Music by James Grissom. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.